This morning we're going to wrap up a brief two-week series called Money Hurts, looking at some of the ways that money, even though it can be a blessing, if we make wrong decisions with it, have a wrong attitude toward it, it can, it can bring some pain and some problems into our lives. Um, when uh, Monisa and I were in Italy, some of you know that one of our favorite places we stopped was in Pompeii, that city which was buried under about 20 feet of ash and pumice about 50 years after Jesus when Mount Vesuvius erupted. Now, it wasn't destroyed with hot lava. It was buried under ash, and so people were buried alive. And one of the interesting things about that was their, 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 their remains were entombed, if you will. And when they started excavating the city of Pompeii, you had all of these people and animals and buildings that were, you could essentially say, preserved. Because once the ash and the pumice fell, in time it hardened. But over the years, the organic material, the bodies, the wood of the doors and the roofs and so on of the buildings, would decay. And left behind was this cavity for animals and people, the bones, the skeleton would be there. For buildings, you'd have the building, but there would be a cavity where a wooden door had once stood. And so when they started excavating, they, they would find these cavities and they would pour plaster, and they made these plaster casts. And so when you go to Pompeii and you go to the museum in uh, Naples, there are all these human remains, these plaster casts of people who died in the city of Pompeii because they just found these open cavities and they could pour a cast. They could actually, for the doors of the building, you could, you could they had made some, a remake of doors that were there. Some of them slid, some of them folded. You could see the crevices, all the wood grain, everything, because it had hardened and there was a perfect cavity and they could pour a perfect cast of the remains of what had once been there. And one of the intriguing things to me was on our tour, we, we went inside this really large house that had belonged to a very wealthy family in Pompeii. And um, on the right is a photograph I took of another tour staring through a hole that had been cut into the wall of one of the rooms of that very wealthy, very large house. And inside that room were some skeletons in a case. You see a picture of it that I took there on the left. And uh, these people did not die when Vesuvius erupted. There was no cavity. It wasn't like everybody else in Pompeii. After the eruption, they had gone back because they knew where that very wealthy house was, and they tunneled down, dug a hole in the side, apparently trying to retrieve some possessions that they knew were in that room in that very wealthy house. And once they got inside, they died. We don't know if they suffocated or fumes or what, but they died, and and uh, their their skeletal remains were found in in the opening where they had carved carved it out. And when I was looking at that and thinking, I thought, how tragic. You know, greed, the desire to get some stuff cost them their lives. And yet there, there are people all around us, maybe some of you in this room, who make decisions about money that get you in trouble. Some of you have a way of thinking when it comes to money that is really going to cause problems in your life. And so we're just looking at some of the things the New Testament teaches about the way people approach money that brings hurt and pain into life because sometimes money makes life worse, not better. Last Sunday, we looked at a story where Jesus told about a family that had been torn apart 
by money and in particular the decisions that one member of the family made about how he was going to live and what he was going to do with his money. Today we're going to look at another story in in Luke chapter 12 where a man in a crowd asked Jesus a question and, and the background to his question is that he and his family are in conflict over the inheritance, in conflict over money. And Jesus used this family situation as an opportunity to teach the crowd that was following him and to teach us some things about money and the way it can create pain in your life. And in in the story, in Luke chapter 12, we're told there was someone in the crowd who, who said to him, who said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man... Who, who made me a judge? Who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And then he said to them, to the crowd, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And then he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? And then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. And I'll build bigger barns. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And then I'll say to my soul, So? You have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. And I think God said it with a broken heart. You fool. This very night, your soul is required of you. And now, who will own what you have prepared? And then Jesus added, so is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. One of the fascinating things about this story in Luke 12 is that Jesus said this very wealthy, successful man was a fool. None of us want to make that mistake. None of us want God to look at us, evaluate our lives, and say, you're a fool. And so we need to learn from his mistakes, not make them. We need to approach things differently than he approached them if we don't want God to call us a fool. So what were his mistakes? What did he do that was so bad? What was it about his attitude as it, when, it, when it comes to money that, that, that rendered him so foolish? Well, there are several things, and the first is this, is that that he allowed money to give him a distorted view of life. In verse 15 of the story, Jesus says, Not even when one has an abundance, when somebody has a, a lot of money and a lot of the things that money can provide in life, not even when one has an abundance of it, does his life consist of his possessions. Jesus is saying whether you have a little bit of this or you have a whole lot of this and all that it purchases, the quality of your life is not determined by how much or how little 
you have. In this rich farmer's view, the purpose of money was to use it to enjoy life. Money was about making himself and his, his family secure in the future to give them financial security. And, and the truth is there's nothing wrong with either of those things. God created fun. God's okay when we have fun. God wants us to have fun. God wants us to provide for our family. God wants us to plan well. There's nothing wrong with providing for the future unless. There's nothing wrong with either of those unless your view of life and your primary view of money and what you do with it, your primary approach to money is money exists and I make it primarily so I can provide for the future and I can have fun. Nothing wrong with providing for the future, nothing wrong with having money unless that is the driving force for how you think about money and what you're going to do with your career in life. They're not wrong unless they're foundational for your approach. And here's the reason. If, if your primary view of money and its purpose in your life are those kind of things, it's going to give you a false sense of security. I mean, this guy, after he became successful, he said, I'm going to say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. He felt safe. He felt secure. He felt prepared. And yet God said, you fool, this very night, your soul is required of you. Earlier this week, near Nashville on Interstate 40, there was a, a youth pastor from a church in West Kentucky with his wife and two teenage sons on their way to Gatlinburg for vacation. When for some inexplicable reason, two cars stopped stopped dead in the middle lane of the interstate, creating a chain reaction accident, and this youth pastor and his family were killed. See, no amount of money, no, no amount of stuff can secure your future. But if we're not careful... If money and, 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 and our primary view of it is to provide for the future and it is to have fun, if that's the way we approach it, it gives us a false sense of security that can be yanked away in, a, in an instant. And, and it's very gradual, but it, but it causes us to begin trusting in what we provide for ourselves instead of God. It's, it's subtle. But the more we trust in it and the more we approach it this way, the, the more our trust our genuine trust in God gradually, gradually diminishes. It's, it's very sneaky how it works. But another reason it's a problem to approach money this way is it gives us a wrong sense of purpose in life, a wrong sense of, of why we exist. We don't exist to make money. We exist to serve God. We exist to love God. And, and as such, we use money for those purposes. And so when, when you get money and, and, and you have a bonus or you, you become successful, you, you get a raise at work, 
first thought, is your thought only about what you can do for yourself? Is your, is your thought primarily, how can I have fun? How can I provide? How can I do something for me and my, is, is that your only thought? Is that your driving thought? Or, or, or do you give any thought to what God might want you to do with it? What's your first thought? What's your foundational thought? What's your driving thought with how you approach money? Jesus in verse 23 said that life is about more than stuff. It's about more than food. It's about more than clothing. In verse 33, if you'll look at it, he said it's about being generous. He said, sell your possessions, give to charity, make yourselves money belts which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. Jesus says, be generous. Be generous. Now, let's be honest. Money can make life easier. It really can. Money can enable us to do things that we simply can't do if we don't have it, right? We would all be lying if we said otherwise. So it does make a difference in life. It allows us opportunities. It it allows us to enjoy things that we just can't enjoy if we don't have it. But Jesus is saying, ultimately the quality of your life is not determined by how much of of this you have and what you can do with it. The quality of your life in the long run is determined by the kind of person you are, how you approach life. One of the uh, nicest things my dad ever did for Monosa and me, and, and um, you know he died not long after we were married, but one of the nicest things he ever did for us was surprise us with some furniture for our family room, for our den in that little house we first lived in. You know, we were like a lot of young couples when you first get married, you didn't have anything. You all remember those days? Some of you say, I'm still there. And uh, just about all of our furniture was borrowed or given to us, and it was a mismatch. You know, uh, we, we took whatever we could get. I mean, I was, we were, I was still in school, and she was just starting out working. And um, in, in our family room or whatever, we didn't, you know, we, we only had part of a house so in our family room. Uh, we had a couch that a buddy of mine had given us, and we had no coffee table, no end tables, you know, had a TV and a couch and a chair. And uh, for, for end tables, we were using, you Clemson fans will love me because, uh, not just because we beat Carolina last night either, but uh, you, <laughs> sorry, uh, not really, but uh, you Clemson fans will love me because for our end tables, we had these orange milk crates. You know what I'm talking about? That was, our, that, was, that, that was our end tables. And Dad came there one day, and I guess he felt sorry for his boy. And I was off at school, and one day uh, a truck showed up at the house. Monisa was there. I was gone. Truck showed up, and it was filled with furniture. And so there was a couch and a chair and coffee table and end tables. And Now, none of it was furniture I would have picked out. But, you know, when somebody's being generous, you just appreciate it, say thank you. And we enjoyed that for years. In fact, kept that coffee table. We were living in Sumter, and here's how I got rid of the coffee table. Kentucky was playing Vanderbilt in football, and there was an unnecessary fumble, and I went wham and broke it. (laughs) That ended that coffee table. (laughs) Hey, I've matured a little bit since then, just a little bit. But Monisa and I often reminisce about that. And one of the things we sometimes say is, you know, we were happy when we had those orange milk crates. We we were happy when we didn't have a bunch of stuff. 
We were just as happy then as we are today. Some of you all know what I'm talking about, right? And all you young couples, don't, don't buy the lie you have to have all this stuff to be happy. It doesn't work that way. I mean, yeah, it makes life easier in some ways, but it's not going to necessarily make your life happier. Why, why do we, as the years pass, fall into the trap of thinking that to really be happy, we have to have more stuff? It's because money's deceitful. And when we approach it the wrong way, it gives us this incorrect, distorted view of life. But there's a second reason God said this man was a fool. It's because when it came to his money and his stuff, he wouldn't listen to God. He, wouldn't, he would not allow God to give him any direction in terms of what he was going to do with it. I'm intrigued in verse 17 after his land became very productive that, that Jesus said he began reasoning to himself. And he said, what shall I do? And then he had an aha moment and said, this is what I will do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger barns. And in that whole process, he didn't consult God. He began reasoning with himself. Just himself, 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 not God. And God says that's a foolish approach to life, including money. Now, a lot of people don't like to hear preachers talk about money. And they'll say, what does God have to do with my money? The church just wants my money. Well, I'm going to talk about money because Jesus does. I'm going to talk about money because it's a big part of life. I'm going to talk about money because you need to know what God says about it. I need to talk, I'm going to talk about money because some of you are going to make some really bad decisions because of money, and it's going to ruin your life. I'm going to talk about money because I'm not going to help you unless I do. See, as followers of Jesus Christ, God, God has a say in everything that's a part of our lives. As a a follower of Jesus Christ, I see the purpose of my life. You see the purpose of your life. As followers of Jesus, we all see our purpose as to love him, serve him. As followers of Jesus Christ, we understand that we are stewards of all his blessings and that all the resources of our life, everything that makes up who we are, my talents and my time and my money and my house and my car, all the resources of my life, belong to him. He allows me to enjoy them. I am stewards of them, which means I'm to manage them the way he tells me to manage them in keeping with biblical principles. That's the reason the banner hanging on that wall back there says resource investment. Every resource I have as a follower of Christ, I invest in the mission of Christ. I invest in life the way God wants it invested, the way God directs me to invest it. The problem with this particular rich individual was he didn't want God telling him what to do with his money. He was going to reason with himself and do whatever he 
wanted. You see, listen, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I understand this life is important. I don't diminish the value of the years I have on earth, the years you have on earth. But as a follower of Christ, I also understand that eternity is more important. That what happens to me and what happens to you for millions and billions and trillions of years is more important than what happens to us for a few decades. That's not to diminish this life. It matters. And right now is the only one I know, I, I'm experiencing, right? This is, this is now. This is me. But I know there's more. And as a follower of Christ, we make our decisions in light of that more, that eternity. See, on, on, on this planet today, people live in a lot of different circumstances. Not everybody has the same standard of living. Cultures are different. But you know something? Wherever you go in this world, wherever you find followers of Jesus Christ, you will find generosity. There's one state in India where the Christians there don't have a lot. You see them working in, 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 in rice fields, rice paddies there. But for over a century, when it comes to their attitude about money, they have an expression they use. It's called one handful of rice at a time. And at every meal, when the family sits down to eat, they'll take one handful of rice and set it apart for God. And when they collect enough, they give it to the church. The church then sells it and makes money. And these impoverished believers in that part of India in a recent year through one handful of rice at a time, were able to raise $1.5 million for their ministries and support 1,800 missionaries. See, Jesus said it's, it's not a matter of do you have an abundance, a lot, or you have a little. That's, that's not the driving force. That's not the critical thing. That's not the deciding factor. Because you can be wise with a lot or little or you can be foolish with a lot or little. It's how you see your purpose and your existence. It's how you see your relationship with God. It's, it's your attitude about money and your approach to it. That's the determining factor. And some of us in this room keep telling ourselves, the problem is I don't have enough. That's not the problem. Yeah, there are some things you could do if you had more. But Jesus said if you're faithful in little, you'll be faithful in much. If you're unfaithful in little, you'll be unfaithful in much. That's not the issue. Even though we like to tell ourselves it is. This rich farmer did not see his life the way Jesus said we're supposed to see it. That's why he wouldn't listen to God. He had no sense of accountability to God. And the result was he wasn't ready to meet God. When, when Jesus said, this very night your soul is required of you, he wasn't ready for that. I want you to think about this. In this life he was financially very successful, but in the next life he was an absolute failure and he died destitute. That's the reason in the beginning in verse 15 Jesus said, beware. Be on your guard against every form 
of greed. And greed is simply wanting more. You see, what we want the most is what we work the hardest to have. And that leads to the third problem, the third reason he was called a fool. It was because even though he worked very, very hard at making money, he didn't work hard at all in terms of his relationship with God. He worked hard at everything but that. He had a productive farm. And when he made more, he built bigger barns to hold it. He thought to himself, what am I going to do? How am I going to handle this? Build bigger barns. But nowhere did he think about God. At no point did he work on his relationship with God. And so Jesus evaluated his life by saying he was a fool. And then in verse 21 said he's, he's representative of others. He's like others. He said, so is the man who stores up treasure for himself but is not rich toward God. Now, listen to me. The problem was not how hard he worked. There was nothing wrong with how hard he worked. Do you know who created work? Hmm? Talk to me, church. Who created work? Yeah. And God created work from the very beginning. When he put Adam in the garden, he put him there to tend it, to take care of it. That's work. Now, work became harder after the fall, after sin, and therefore it's not always fun. But work is something God created that God ordained. And, and there was nothing wrong with him wanting to provide for his family. God said we're supposed to do that. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, if anyone does not provide for his own, especially those of his household, his family, he's denied the faith. God says if you're too lazy to get a job, you're too lazy to work, you're too lazy to take care of your family, you deny the faith even if you call yourself a Christian. God doesn't condemn work. God doesn't condemn hard work. God condemns laziness. But God does... So you got a real problem when you work hard at everything except your relationship with me. That was his problem. And I, I've read this, this story for years. But it really hit me yesterday when I was reading, reading it again in verse 21 when Jesus, so is the man who stores up treasure for what? Himself. Himself. See, his view of life, that's it. Himself and his, himself and his, himself and his, himself and his. But a follower of Christ, while taking care of self and taking care of family, a follower of Christ says, God, what do you want me to do? God, how can I use all my resources, my time, my skills, my home, my money, my life, investing in your kingdom, investing in making a difference in this world and, 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 and helping people? How can I invest in the ministries of my church? 
your mission, God. Because we see our life's purpose as bigger than just me. Yes, I matter, but I am not the center of this universe. You matter, but you are not the center of the universe. God is. God is. And just like our planets revolve around the sun follower of Christ, your life revolves around Jesus Christ. And too many of us go through life trying to deny that spiritual reality. This man denied that truth. And when we do, we make wrong decisions. We have wrong attitudes. And it matters. Jesus said, after the story in verses 22 to 30, basically, have faith in God. Have enough faith in God to live your life according to the purpose of God, to obey Him. In verse 31, seek His kingdom. Have some passion for the things of God. And that includes what I do with this. Let, Let me... Let me say something. Let me ask something. How, how I, I don't know how to give my life to God. How, how does a disciple give his life or her life to God without giving God everything that's a part of that life? Okay, God, I'm going to give you my life, but I'm holding these parts back. How do we surrender our life to him without surrendering everything, everything that is part of life? And that includes this. See, Jesus, look at verse 34 at the end, uh, later in this teaching. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I want you to notice something. Jesus did not say, where your heart is, your treasure will follow. Did he? Is that what he said? Did Jesus say, where your heart is, your treasure will follow? That's not what he said. See, look at the scripture. What did he say? Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Where your treasure is. He said, that's where your heart is. That's a tougher examination. But but he gives us that to call us to growth, to trust transformation let me close with this the single worst day in the US stock market was was not 2008 it wasn't 1929 the single worst day in the history of the United States stock market was October 19, 1987 when the stock market lost in one day nearly 23% of its value. Richard Stearns today is the president of um, World Vision, a Christian relief agency. But in 1987, he was the CEO of Linux Incorporation in the midst of a very lucrative career. And when the market crashed that day in 1987, he lost in one day one-third of his savings 
his kids' college funds. And being a smart businessman, he became obsessed with getting it all back. And so he would sit up at night studying spreadsheets. Now, you've got to remember, 1987, the Internet was not them what it is today. Okay, different day. And so he would sit up late in the evening, midnight, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning, going over spreadsheets, and the following morning pick up the telephone, call his broker and tell him, sell this, buy that. And he was just, I mean, weeks went by, and he was just determined he was going to survive this, and he was going to get it all back. He became obsessed. And one night while he was in his study looking at all those spreadsheets, his wife came downstairs and sat beside him. And she said, honey, this thing is consuming you in an unhealthy way. And she said what uh, everybody hates to hear. She said, it's only money. She added, we have our marriage, our health, our friends, our children, a good income, so much to be thankful for. You need to let go of this and trust God. And then she suggested they do something he had not thought about. She suggested they pray together. So they prayed. At the end of their prayer, she surprised him by saying, Now, I think we need to get out our checkbook and write several large checks to our church and ministries with support. We need to show God that we know this is his money and not ours. Well, he was flabbergasted. But in his heart, he knew she was right. And so they got out their checkbook wrote several large checks to the church and to ministries they supported. And he said it was in that moment when they put those checks in the envelopes that it hit him. There was this gigantic wave of peace that settled over him. And now he was free of the worry and the hold that money had on him. About a decade later, he became the president of that Christian ministry, World Vision, helping impoverished people around the world. Don't wait until you're dying to say I was wrong. Don't wait till you're dying to say I was wrong. Young people, young people, when I was engaged, a guy who'd been married many decades said, Steve, you look around and you see all this stuff everybody has. He said, just need to remember one thing. It took them years to get it. Don't try to get it all at once. So I'm going to give you all some practical advice. You can do with it what you want, but I'm going to give it to you. Don't run up debt to have stuff. Put money in retirement from the time you get your first job at McDonald's. Tithe on every dime you make. If you give God 10% of everything you make, you'll keep your head screwed on right and you'll have a better life. Now you do with it what you want, but the wise people will listen, okay? Love you. I wish somebody had told me some of that when I was 16. (laughs) Okay? So what's God saying to you? What's your attitude about life, money, and everything else?
See, this is not just a sermon on giving. Yeah, it's a sermon on giving. But it's about a whole lot more than that. It's about why you exist, how you see your life. Did you consult God? Is God the one you're living for? Are you living for self? With God there, but not the center of your orbit in this universe. How are you approaching life? Let's stand. Father, all of us as human beings struggle with a lot of different things. And some of us struggle with money. Wanting more. Sometimes, Lord, having very real needs that need to be met. Some of us struggle, Father, for years digging out of holes we created because we didn't listen to you in the first place. Some of us struggle, Father, just surrendering completely everything to you and your Lordship. So, Lord, whatever our struggles, give us victory today. Lord, I pray for each man, for that man, that woman, that teenager, that child who's struggling with something. Give them victory right now. Help them listen to you and obey you. God, pull us to you. And those who need to make public decisions, pull them to the front of this room right now. Tug on their heart hard. Don't let any of us go away without obeying you. In Jesus' name we pray.